Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. All right, a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I was having some new tires put onto my truck. And so I was in Little Rock and I was at the tire shop and I was in the, the little waiting area where you, you wait, obviously. And, and as I was sitting in there, I was the only one in there and uh, the manager of the store, he came in and he started talking to me a little bit. And, uh, and we're talking and, and things just kind of shooting the breeze. And then he asked me what I do. And um, I told him that I'm a pastor. And, and usually uh, people get really weird whenever you tell them that. Uh, that it it kind of kills conversation a little bit, but not with this guy. Uh, he got super excited. And so we just start talking about all of this stuff. And, and uh, he was like, it, it, was, it was a couple weeks ago, the Ukraine-Russia thing had just fired up. And so he's like, oh, well then you must have thoughts on like end time stuff. And like tomorrow the world is ending basically is what he was, he was thinking. And so he was really fired up to talk about this. We talk about um, the Bible for an hour in the waiting room of this tire shop. And uh, come to find out he is an ex-Jehovah's Witness. Not meaning that he's like converted to Christianity or anything like that now. He's just not as faithful with Jehovah's Witnesses anymore, but he's still kind of in that whole world. And as we're talking, man, he is quoting scripture. He's using theological words. He is talking about end times prophecy. It was a couple weeks ago when we were in our Daniel series, and he just starts spouting off these passages from Daniel. Like he just, he knew them. It was, it was pretty impressive. Now, he, he was using them um, out of context, pretty badly, all right? And uh, he, was, he, he had some weird interpretations of things, but he knew, like he knew scripture. And so he knew these things, and, and, and as he's talking to me, you know, like we're just, we're just having this deep conversation right here in this tire shop. And, and, and so he, he knows scripture, but he's taking it out of context. And he also like just has these weird ideas about who Jesus is. Like he, he thinks that Jesus is a good guy. He's the son of God, but he's not God. And, and that's, that's wrong. Jesus is God. He's the third person of the triune God. He is, he's God. And so I was able to talk with him. I was able to share the gospel with him. I encouraged him to go back and read the book of Luke and the book of Colossians, where Colossians 1.15, that he is, he is supreme, that he is over all things. He's a creator and sustainer of everything. And so I encouraged him to go and do those things. But I was sitting there as a pastor, convicted that here is this ex-Jehovah's Witness guy who knows scripture probably better than I do. Like if we were gonna have a, a, a scripture quoting contest, he beats me, right? And so I tell you that to, to say this, we're talking this morning about the, the importance of the word of God, and I want you to hear that story so that you don't somehow think that I've got all this figured out, right? that we all probably have work to be done in this area. But surveys show us that Christians who claim to value the word of God, which is what we're talking about this morning, they claim to, va to value their Bibles, actually know very little of what's in them, right? It was about 10 years ago, I was, I was really convicted one Sunday, I was on staff at a church in Oklahoma, 
And um, on staff at the church, I became convicted that, you know what, I claim to believe this book, but I don't think I've ever read it, like cover to cover. And so about 10 years ago, I became convicted on that, decided to go ahead and read, read all the way through it, and it was a game changer for me. Just to read through and understand context and what's happening in the big picture, the meta-narrative of Scripture was a game changer for me. And so what we're talking about this morning is if we say we believe this, don't you think it should occupy some space in our lives? Right? And, and so that's what we're talking about. We're going to see what the Bible says about the Bible and how that should affect our lives. So if you have a Bible, turn it to First Thessalonians chapter 2. We've been in the series now for a few weeks in First Thessalonians. And as we've been talking about this, if you've been here, we've kind of talked a little bit about the, um, the context of the, the area that they were in. If you remember, this was kind of a Thessalonica, the city was like a cultural hub of the time. It was, it was like the New York City of its day. So there's all this culture that's just being mixed in this city. Like it's, it's this whole fishbowl of just different philosophies and religions and different things are going on here. It's kind of just a mixed, mixed bag. And so it was a breeding ground for religious speculation. So the Thessalonian people had no doubt seen it all and heard it all, right? They're exposed. So I think sometimes we can read this and just go, well, this is the first deity that they ever heard of. And so, yeah, they they decided to follow it, but that's not the case. They had heard all kinds of stuff and they had to sort through the mess of it. And so whenever we read in Acts 17, which is again, their origin story, uh, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and we see that they were persuaded to follow Jesus. That's a big deal. That they sorted through the mess of everything else that was going on in their culture and decided to follow Jesus. It's a big deal. And so whenever we read today that they knew that the word of God was not just the word of men, it was actually the word of God. It was worth turning their lives over to. That's a big deal as well. All right. So before we read, I want us to just take just a second and, and pray and ask God to speak to us through his word this morning. So I'm going to pray, and as I do, just pray for yourself that God would speak to you in this moment. God, we, um, we just want to pause and, and ask you in this moment to speak to us. As we talk about your word I pray that your word would do new things in our life, that we would be challenged, and that we would leave here not as just hearers of your word, but as doers of your word as well. God, I pray that your spirit would speak, nothing that I would have to say, but everything that you would have to say to us this morning. We're listening, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. First Thessalonians chapter two is where we're going to be, but I want to show you in, ver- in chapter one, verse two. First Thessalonians chapter one, look at verse two. It says, we, that's Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, we always thank God for, for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We always thank God for you. We're constantly doing this. Now jump to, to chapter two, verse 13. This is why we constantly thank God. Because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, 
the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. We're just gonna look at this one verse this morning. And if you notice, there's three verbs there, uh, received, welcomed, and believed. Those are, that's where we're gonna focus in our time this, this morning. All right, but before we do, there's a little bit of background work that we need to do. So Paul says, when we discuss the scriptures with you, what he's saying in this verse, when we discuss the scriptures with you, you understood that you weren't just hearing from me, talking about Paul, you weren't just hearing from me, you weren't hearing my words, you were hearing straight from God. And so what's he talking about there? I showed you a few weeks ago the, the origin story in Acts 17. I want you to see it again though. Acts 17 tells us how this church kind of came to be. In, in Acts 17, verse one, it'll be on the screen for you. Um, basically, verse one says, Paul and the boys, they came to Thessalonica and there was a Jewish synagogue. Look at verse two. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from where? The scriptures. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded. Some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. So in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, our, our main verse for this morning says, you understood that this is not a human message, this is the word of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean, the word of God? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what does it actually mean that this is the word of God? Can we actually trust that the Bible that you hold in your lap is the word of God. Yes, we can, right? Yes, we can. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says this. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's all inspired by God. You might circle that or underline that in your Bible. And it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Whenever it says it is inspired, that means that God spoke through human authors to convey precisely what he wanted to convey. That's the idea of inspiration whenever it comes to scripture, that, that he used humans, he used their voice and their style, and they communicated exactly what God intended them to communicate. Second Peter chapter one says this, above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, this is how it happened. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that's how these Bible books came to be. The Holy Spirit spoke through men uh, as they wrote them down, communicating exactly what he wanted to communicate. So we can trust, we can know that scripture comes directly from God himself. And because of that, it's effective for our lives. Hebrews chapter four, for the word of God is living and it's effective for our lives. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So God's word is inspired, it's, it's living, it's effective, it's able to speak into our lives, right? So that's some background, so what do we do with that? That's where our, our theme verse for this morning 
comes in and those three verbs that Paul shows us in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. That's where we're gonna zoom in now this morning. He says first that you received the word. You received the word. To receive the word, this is an intellectual type of a thing. You received it with your mind. So when they heard the message in Acts chapter 17, it made sense. It made sense to them and they connected with it on an intellectual level with their head. That's how they connected with it. So the Bible is not meant for us to just blindly accept it. We don't just have to set aside our our brains over here whenever you open up the word or you come into a service like this. No, God, God gave us brains and he gave us insight and he gave us discernment as good gifts. And so whenever we come into a space like this or whenever we come into um, our own personal study, it is good to engage your mind, right? Intellectually engage with, with the word. Um, you know, that's the reason I like to throw out the deep theological words and things like that. I like, to, I like for you to know those things uh, because we need to engage with the word on an intellectual level. The, the Thessalonian Christians, they use their mind and they understood that they were hearing God's words, not merely the, the words of men. They were hearing from God and they became students of, of the word. And so we would do well to be students of the word. We should study it, we should memorize it, we should know it, we should be able to speak it and articulate it, right? We'll never know all there is to know in this book, never. Like you could study it every single day, you'll never know everything that's in this book. Think of it this way, whenever you receive something, think of it like receiving a, uh, a, a package on your front doorstep, like an Amazon package or something like that. You ever order something online and it, and it ships in several different boxes? Right? Isn't it annoying if it were to show up like, here's box two of three and one of them's missing or something like that? Like that's annoying. The, the Bible is not that way. We have everything that we need in this package that's been delivered to us. Every piece is there. It is perfectly given to us. We have everything we need for it to make sense, for us to come to salvation, and for our lives to be shaped by it. The Bible is sufficient for our, for our lives. Right, and so maybe you know I don't I don't have time to like go into like how the biblical canon was put together and the Council of Trent and all these different things like I don't have time to get into that. But if you are maybe kind of an intellectual type person who is struggling with why do we trust this Bible, like how did it come to be, I have this resource and it's just a it's a starting point. Okay, this is a it's a really easy little book to read. It's not super uh, deep or anything like that. But if you are interested, we're gonna try something this morning. It'll, it'll be like a book pass along, okay? And so on the inside cover of this book, I've got kind of a sign up sheet right here. And so if you're interested, um, after service, I'll have it right out there. And if you wanna take this book home and read it, we're just gonna have you sign up on this little sign up sheet. I'm gonna ask uh, whoever the first person is to get it today, whoever the first person to sign up, uh, try and read it in less than two weeks. I really think you could do it by next Sunday, all right? It's spring break, what else you got to do? So I think you could do that. So you could, you could read this and then whoever the next person is on the list, you're gonna put your contact information there. Uh, it'll be your job to then get it to that person. Does that sound good? Or, you know, get on Amazon and, and, and buy your own. <laughs> they're, they're pretty cheap, but it's called Why Trust the Bible. Uh, it's put out by Nine Marks Ministry. 
It's a good resource. I'll have this after service if you're, if you're interested in that, all right? So first, they received the word. Second, they welcomed the word. They welcomed the word. So first, whenever they received it, that was they received it intellectually. Now, whenever they welcome the word, this is welcoming the word internally. Welcoming it internally. So this is a step further than just understanding it with your head. It's another step. So because the message made sense, and because they um, understood it, right, then they ingested it internally into their heart, into their heart. So the Thessalonians, they got the message, but then the message got them. It, It became a part of who they were. So we understand that there's a difference between hearing something and heeding something, right? Heeding means you give attention to it. So if receiving something is like a package being delivered on your front doorstep, then welcoming would be like welcoming in that delivery person into your home, okay? And so that's the idea here, that you welcome the word in internally. This, this is an important thing for us to understand about the word of God. The Bible is written to be understood. It's not like this, this code that we're not able to, to crack, or it's not like you gotta have a seminary degree to be able to understand this. When, when God spoke this word and gave it to the writers, he intended it for us to be able to understand it. You know, I hear a lot that people are maybe intimidated by the Bible or don't really understand it, don't really get it. But I wanna show you that you can. You can understand it, you can. Here's a few ways that you can do this. First, find a church that preaches the word. Done, right? Uh, although we don't do it perfectly here, uh, you're here, we preach the word, and so I have a phrase I like to use. Um, if all the settings are right, rip the knob off and, and just plant it here with us, right? So find a church that preaches, preaches the word. Second, get in a small group. Get into a small group. The word getting in you right, internally, best happens in community. I'm convinced of that. If you are uh, walking alongside other believers and you are in the word together and you're just letting it kind of marinate over you as a group and you're discussing it and things like that, it is the best way for the word to become a part of us, right? And and so we've been doing this uh, small group spotlight for the past several weeks. I wanna show you um, one more small group. This is the last one to show you. Um, This group meets on Sunday nights. It's more of a location-based group, uh, meets in the Wooster area. So if you live out that way and Sundays at 4.30 work well for you, uh, talk to Kyle and Rachel after service. They'll be right out there. But the idea is get into a small group. It's so, so important. We talked last week about what if the thesis, what if the the, the way that we defined our small groups was the verse from last week, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, that we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share not only the gospel with you, but also our lives. Why? Because you'd become so dear to us. Like that's what small groups are meant to be, that we share the gospel together and we share life together. And whenever you do that, this idea of the word getting in you, uh, it happens. It happens in community. So find a church that preaches the word, get in a small group. And then the, the last way I think that the word gets in us is personal study of the word. Like personal study of the word. This is probably the one that we struggle with, right? But you can do it. You can. It requires time. 
So scripture has this idea of meditation on the word. Uses the word meditation. This isn't like the, the hippie like set cross-legged on the floor and just hope something comes to you. This is like talking more like meditation, like letting it marinate over, over you. Meditating on the word is how it becomes a part of us. So think of it, think of it this way. If you, if you do not digest your food, you will die, right? If you don't digest your food, you're gonna die. And in the same way, it takes time to meditate on the word, but it's the only way for the word to really get in us. It's like an idea of marination where it just, we just soak in it. Uh, the Bible talks about meditating on the word several different places. Joshua 1.8, it says, uh, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. And if you do, you're gonna prosper and succeed in what you do. Psalm chapter one, uh, verse one says, how happy is the one who delights in the Lord's instruction and meditates on it day and night. So it requires time, right? We meditate on the word. It also requires effort. Like it's, 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 it's not the easiest thing to do to really dive in deep in personal study of the word. It's not, I'll admit it. Carving out time in your day, those kind of things, it requires some effort, but you can do it. So time, effort, and then most importantly, it requires help of the Holy Spirit. So whenever you open your Bible for personal study, I wanna give you a verse that is helpful to pray in that moment. It's Psalm 119, verse 18, and it says this, open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. Whenever you come to the Bible and you're gonna open it, man, just pray that. God, would you open my eyes to the wondrous things in your instruction? Would you help me to contemplate these things, to ingest these things internally into my life? But these daily and weekly rhythms that we're talking about here of finding a church home, finding a small group, and then personal study time, that is how we welcome the word into our life. That's how it becomes internal into our life, and you can do it, right? So they received the word, they welcomed the word, finally, they believed the word. They believed the word. So if the first two, if the first one is intellectually and, and, and welcoming the word is internally, believing the word is externally. So they believed the word externally. This is, this is where the rubber really meets the road. This is where it gets, gets real. So because the message made sense, right, because they had internalized the message, now it begins to transform their lives. It affects their hands, right? So that's the picture. You got head, heart, and hands. It's a full-bodied approach to Scripture. So when he says in, in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the word of God which also works effectively in you who believe. He goes on in verse 14 to say, you became imitators of God's churches. So, so the idea is whenever they believe the word, like it began to do things in their life. They began to see real results of the things that they received and welcomed and believed into their life. When they believed the word, their lives changed. The power of God was at work in them. How did that happen? How does it actually happen? 
it's this. They believed the word of God to be true about Jesus. About Jesus. Look at Acts 17 again. It'll be on the screen for you. It says, as usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, he says, I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded. So Paul shows them from God's own words, he shows them their sin and their need for a savior. Paul shows them from God's own words, a a Messiah, a savior that would come to be offered up as a sacrifice. A Messiah that would come to be offered as a sacrifice and then raise from the death, from, from dead to defeat death. Paul showed them from God's own words that Jesus is that promised Messiah that scripture has talked about. And, and, and because of all that, they were persuaded and their lives were changed. See, scripture can transform us because scripture is all about Jesus. Every bit of it. The great preacher, Adrian Rogers, he says this, cut the Bible anywhere, it will bleed the blood of Christ. It's one of my favorite quotes. So cut the Bible anywhere. Any, any spot you, you cut the Bible, it's gonna bleed the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ runs through the veins of, of scripture. Every bit of it finds its meaning, its purpose, and its fulfillment in him. Recently, uh, there was a, a debate on Twitter, which that's a shocker, right? There was a debate on Twitter, and I'm not even really sure how it started, but basically the point was this. Somebody said that the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament is not about Jesus. And I'll just settle that debate. Yes, it is, right? Yes, it is. Every bit of it is about him. Look at Acts 7, 17 too. As usual, Paul went to the synagogue. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. What's he talking about there? That would have been the Old Testament. He's speaking the New Testament, right? So he's talking, he's reasoning from from the Old Testament here. In verse three, he was explaining out of the Old Testament, proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, he's talking about the Messiah, is the Messiah. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Luke 24, 27. It's just this little verse after Jesus has risen from the dead, he's walking with these two guys along the road. And there's just this little verse that says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began to interpret to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now just think about that for a minute. This is a fascinating verse that Jesus, it says beginning with Moses, Moses wrote the first five books of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So beginning there, beginning on page one, working all the way through the prophets, Jesus began to go, this is, this is me, this is my character, this is how I fulfill that, this is how I'm the greater version of what you see in those, those stories. So understand what I'm saying whenever I say that Jesus is all throughout the Bible. I'm not saying that, that every passage speaks specifically and directly of Jesus, and and we're thankful for that because the book of Song of Solomon would get really weird. So it's not directly and specifically about him, but the central focus of all of scripture is Jesus. 
Every bit of it. And it's the good news of Jesus that transforms us. It's the good news of, of, of like Paul showed these people in Thessalonica, their sin problem, that Jesus came to remedy that, that he came to die for them, and that he did those things. He died for them. He rose from the grave. And if they would just place their faith in him, they would be forgiven. That's what trans, transforms us. That's why it doesn't matter what book of the Bible we are studying, you will always hear sermons about Jesus here. Always. It's always going to be about, about Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, he said, he said this one time, know Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Every sermon, every, every text is about Jesus. It's all about him. And Jesus is the one that transforms our lives when we believe in him. And when we do those things, our lives should look differently. James chapter one, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't just hear it, but be doers as well. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves in it, perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. I, I read a story this week of a, of a couple uh, in Northern California, and uh, they were, it was, it was just a couple of years ago, they were out walking their dog in their property. And as they were walking their dog, they look down and they see this rusted can kind of sticking halfway out of the ground, right? And so they become very curious. Like, what, what is that thing? It, it later became known as one of the greatest treasure finds in United States history. But they didn't know that at the time. They just got curious. And so they, they dug this can up. And whenever they open it up, I've got a picture here. This is what they, this is what they saw. It was full of these gold coins uh, from 18, um, 1840, let me see, I wanna get this right for you, 1847 to 1894. This can was just full of these $20 gold coins and it looked like somebody had just taken them straight from the mint, put them in this, in this uh, can and buried it. So they were near mint condition. And so when they find this, of course they're like excited, right? And so they took this, this can of coins to a coin expert there in California, and he was just beside himself. He said that you have found just an amazing thing. These are gold rush gold coins from Northern California, and their worth is just unbelievable, right? And so what do you do if you find a rusted can of coins in your yard? You go home and you look for more. <laughs> Absolutely. And so they went home and, and they found eight more cans. And uh, whenever it was all said and done, they, they had found 1,400 gold coins in their backyard. And it's estimated that that is worth over $10 million. And so they got curious. They began to dig into it. And because of that, boy, their lives have changed. How many of you, $10 million would change your life? <laughs> if that happens, 
If you get like inspired and you go get a metal detector and you go home and you find, just remember your church. That's right. So it changed. It changed their changed their life. And understand that what you hold in your lap right now, or what you're scrolling on your phone, is a treasure from God. And the more curious that we get, the more we become uh, just invested into it, and the deeper we begin to dig into it, the more we're gonna find and the more it's gonna transform our lives. And so the point of this morning, what, what I hope and what I pray for us this morning is that you and I would gain a newfound respect for the Word of God. That if we're gonna claim to believe this thing, then it should transform our lives. It should occupy space in our day and that we would approach it with a full-bodied approach, head, heart, and hands. Because if you get one of those out of whack or if you're unbalanced and you don't have all three, then it's just not good. There's some people who have a very heady understanding of the Bible and they know a lot about it, but it never affects their hands. It never affects what they do. There's other people who their lives maybe look like they do a lot of things, but their Bible sits dusty all week, never cracking it open ever. And so I'm not trying to heap any guilt on us. I told you at the beginning, man, an ex-Jehovah's Witness schooled me the other day, right? And so we're not heaping guilt, but we are saying, let's have a full-bodied approach to the Word, where we receive it intellectually, where we welcome it internally, and where we believe it externally, head, heart, and hands. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.